Today is September 7th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Chestakomaki, or Dekotes, Nagotene, Siku. Hi, my name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Blackfoot south of the imposed US Canadian border are the Blackfeet, north of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nation of the Stony Nation, and the Dene from Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. Here in Calgary, it's pride, and it's important for uh, folks to understand that the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is a force on these lands by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, honoring the host as a guest, honoring your role, acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. And I'm going to add, it is crystal clear to me, people don't see the importance of it. Um, as more important before acknowledging your MP, MLA, and city councillor, because you wouldn't have a Canada without it. So treat and honour Indigenous people and land acknowledgements like you would uh, O Canada or God bless the Queen or whatever it is that you, you do. You even went to a wedding and we didn't acknowledge the land. Uh, it's important your land acknowledgements have meaning. I encourage all people to introduce themselves with acknowledgement of their ancestors, stories of displacement, how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee, or other land displacement, so we as Indigenous people know how safe you are to be around. If you don't know how to pronounce your local Indigenous nation's name, won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, won't acknowledge imposed economic oppression, or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around my community, my family, and myself. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101 because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught today in Canadian schools nationally. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians or whatever town you're from, show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. Jesse Winty's book Unreconciled on chapter 13 and pages 180 and 181 really explain this perfectly. My Dene lineage roots me, in, roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake tribe in Treaty 11. My people wore rabbit skin, so it's often been referred to the land of the hair people. I'm a native to Turtle Island and my Dene nation is a visitor of this area of Kinchotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many big dung town, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. Through my father, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having a Canadian Indian Act and Post status card. That is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inherent rights. Indigenous Two-Spirit for the Indigenous 2SLGBTQ plus community and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socio-economic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. As a Dene woman who has attempted to run after joining harmful Colonial parties spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow incarceration, a denial of justice, denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples. I have worked to continue reports to advocate for and attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I cannot say have a great pride when I know my community is dying from current drug policies, racism and healthcare, Christian-based drug policies, abstinence programming, um, private healthcare, justice systems built on racist land theft and imposed British constructs that continue genocide on indigenous people. Right now, uh, a lot of awful things have been happening with a, a tragedy that's happening nationally. 
and it's been getting so much attention. And today I was just reading that, uh, you know, not to donate to a bunch of GoFundMes that are going out there. Uh, so I just want people to understand that, you know, we are constantly living through trauma today because of the continued racism. We've given the answers, we've given solutions, and yet there's no political leaders that are non-Indigenous willing to implement them. So I think of those uh, folks harmed today, and I hope we honor their lives. I hope you see your role in the importance of stopping harm, and as a citizen, see your role in reconciliation and treaty. I honor the Blackfoot, and as the elders have been really kind to me on my Red Road journey, Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my name in Blackfoot, and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Of this entire podcast, any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share my journey as I walk the red road. I've been accused of not being kind while surviving genocide, yet I have given free book clubs, podcasts, info on my social media for years, as have many others, and you can hire me at any point in time to teach you. At this point, it is willful to be ignorant on these issues. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments, questions, or e-transfers. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. So today I am lucky enough uh, to have a friend of mine that I have met at, over the years at many different liberal events. Yaro, I would love for you to unmute yourself and introduce yourself in your way to us. We still can't hear you, you're still muted. <laughs> I thought I pressed it. Sorry. Hello, everyone. Coming uh, from Treaty Six lands, um, Tensei. Um, anyways, uh, thanks for inviting me, uh, Michelle, onto your show. Uh, this is one of my very first uh, interviews, and uh, I definitely am interested in talking about uh, uh, my journey uh, with reconciliation, uh, which um, began. Uh, when I, around uh, 2009, uh, when I decided that I needed to um, start, you know, uh, just just looking up who I was. And uh, I did, at, at that point, I really didn't know who, much about myself, uh, where I was from. I didn't know much about my Indigenous Métis culture. And so uh, that's where I would say my, my journey began um, at a family reunion. I started uh, asking family members uh, about our family history. And uh, I was surprised uh, when they told us that that I was Métis. I, at that point, I really had no understanding of Métis, my Métis culture. Um, so that's kind of where it all began. And um, so I went, I, I went on a journey and uh, this is where I am today. Obviously, that journey has led me towards the Liberal Party, uh, who I feel is a more understanding party. They're not perfect, uh, but they, I believe, uh, at least have some, they have compassion and they have uh, helped promote the culture, uh, Indigenous and Métis and others. Um, so therefore, for me, um, I grew up in Alberta as well. Um, I was born in Calgary and uh, my family has been in Alberta from the very beginning since uh, my my great, great, great grandfather, Joseph Cardinal and Lizette Frobisher uh, moved here to uh, help build the fur trade. So I've been here from the, family's been here from the very beginning, uh, plus some of my Cree history goes back uh, who knows how many thousands of years. Um, so the thing is, is that I, I now, you know, I'm on that journey 
uh, as you described and uh, hoping to, uh, you know, continue forward and uh, see where it takes me. That's great. Um, how has your family been? How are they supported? Um, yeah, my my family uh, very supportive. Uh, you know, my wife is supportive of Indigenous culture. My children, uh, they love uh, being Métis. We've been going to a lot of Métis events. Um, they're very proud to be Métis, uh, which is a lot different than how I grew up because um, when, when I grew up uh, and I went to school, uh, there was a lot of more open racism now it's kind of hidden but it was more open against indigenous people so um a lot of people were scared to even say they were indigenous especially metis people um metis people you know they would hide it um because they didn't want people to know that they were uh you know indigenous in any way so growing up uh yeah the racism was more direct and right out in the open and uh today now it's like I said, it's hidden, but at least uh, one thing I can say is that my children grew up uh, from a very young age, understanding that uh, Indigenous culture is not only a beautiful culture, but so is Métis, called the Métis culture. So yeah. um, I've always taught them that there's an incredible amount of things that are good about the culture, and um, they... Uh, they now view it that way, which is opposite to how I was raised. Uh, I was, like I said, I was raised, you know, that it was, uh, I don't even want to repeat all the things that I was told growing up. Honestly. You know, but I do think it's important to recognize it because you and I both grew up in this environment of, of absolute awful racism. And of course, I've experienced sexism as a result of it too. So racism and sexism. And growing up here, you know, really coming to just accept it, which is not okay, and it shouldn't be okay. But that was the reality. And I, you know, when Christiana Freeland um, was accosted in, in Grand Prairie, I was like laughing. I'm like, you guys recognize every woman in Alberta is mistreated by men and sworn at and told they're cunts and all these awful other derogatory terms because we're women in Alberta. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's not okay. Internalized sexism and racism is not okay. But I mean, at the end of the day, I'm just incredibly used to it, because that is the atmosphere here. Yeah, it uh, growing up in Alberta, um, you're subjected to right wing politics and narratives, and uh, you're subjugated by Christianity. So uh, yeah, they have uh, some some interesting um, belief systems that, uh, you know, that are patriarchal. And uh, of course, uh, you know, we all know that women are, are more powerful than men and uh, that we should have uh, respect for them, um, which uh, I don't believe in my view, uh, Christianity necessarily promotes um, growing up Christian uh, you know, I know, I know it very well. I grew up and um, going to church, and uh, <clears throat> honestly, uh, a lot. I think, I think that a lot of the world's problems are honestly created from religion, uh, especially patriarchal religion. So, I'm personally uh, non-religious at this point. I uh, I believe in the laws of the universe, uh, which are you, you could, you, you know, naturally occurring in nature or, or natural law. And the reason I believe in natural law is because it's just so apparent, right? You don't, you don't need to read a book to understand natural law. You just observe the creation and you'll see that there's actually um, laws that exist within, within nature. And the one most important law to me that I've discovered, uh, like every other Indigenous person is that we're here to learn uh, to find balance uh, in everything that we do. Yeah, and that's very good. <laughs> that's the part that I that I really like, right? Yeah. So you you can't you can't if you're if you're trying to be balanced, you know, you, you know that's a very tough thing to do. But I don't think misogyny fits in 
in the in that category of balance. So yeah. it's sad what happened to Christia Freeland that day. Yeah, it is. But like she had this really wicked response to how she doesn't really like she's had thousands of more welcomes than she's had the one guy, right? Uh, but for folks who are interested, The Importance of Monogamy, uh, a book by Sarah Carter is such a great um, book at explaining how uh, patriarchy and Christianity was forced on these lands in order to create the Alberta we have today. So I highly recommend it when it talks about the erasure of Indigenous people and, and, and uh, you know, LGBTQ2+, that was understood in all of the nations, etc. So um, and I guess, uh, Yaro, I would love to ask you because um, you and I are liberals and you've already said that, you know, it shows compassion. Uh, to me, it was the Indigenous Peoples Commission. I had reached out to the NDP and at that time nationally, this would have been, I don't know, 2011, it wasn't functioning. So um, Chad Cowie, a former chair, and at that time it was called the Aboriginal Peoples Commission. He uh, was really welcoming to me and really encouraged me to submit policies that were Indigenous based and they passed and that's why I ended up going to Montreal um, in 2014 to promote those policies that I, I was able to get going. So um, I, I wanted to ask you, like, would you be interested in doing more with the Indigenous Peoples Commission? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, anything that's going to help uh, promote reconciliation. Uh, you know, I feel that right now, um, many Indigenous people are not very politically active. Um, and I, I feel that they have given up um, due to the five generations of generational trauma. And, and um, not only that, but being survivors of residential schools, I feel that a lot of people have uh, given up. And um, the thing is, is that uh, my goal is to connect to those types of uh, people and, uh, and help empower them and bring them back and give them a voice. So I would, uh, obviously, uh, I would love to join uh the National or Indigenous Commission, whatever, I'm not sure what it's called yet, because uh, I'm, I'm kind of new to that, but I would love to uh, join that. Yeah, the so, Indigenous Peoples Commission, right? Because, so like, in, and I'm just going <clears> to <throat> lay this out for our listeners as well. Indigenous is an umbrella term for First Nation, Métis, and Inuit. That's an umbrella term. So like, it's more proper to say First Nation, Métis, and Inuit. Um, but the Indigenous Peoples Commission um, encompasses all of them. And um, obviously, I always uh, acknowledge non-status because the perpetrated um, gendered violence that's in the Indian Act has caused my mother to lose her status and finally get it back, me to lose my status and finally get it back. And my daughter was not born with status. And S3 is what is going to give her status back. This has never been a problem for my grandparent or my grandfather, my uncles, or my male cousins. This is only a female issue because of the constant gendered violence. So a lot of uh, this conversation that happens right now about who's a pretend Indian, like there's not a, a complex nuanced conversation about is this person actually Indigenous or not? And did they lose their status solely based off of stupid Canadian constructs of the Indian Act? And that's why I'm really clear when I introduce why it is I feel this way and how as Indigenous people, we have inherent rights to the land. And um, like it should be seen as treaty, then prime minister, <laughs> then um, you know, MLAs and councillors. But I go to places regularly that they don't understand the importance of land acknowledgements and the importance of recognizing treaty and treaty partners. So, you know, like this is the foundation of our country. And yet it's been purposely not taught through the schools so that people don't see us as important. You're still muted. Okay, <laughs> glad. Yeah, one of the, the things that um, I discovered uh, going through my family tree 
And of course, uh, when you try to apply for a Métis status or a uh, full status, one of the things you're going to find out is that um, you your life is in shambles. You don't know who you are. You don't know your family history. And you're expected to now go out there and put your family tree together in, in a very broken up family. And so right from the get-go, um, it, it's already you're already behind um, a thousand percent. Uh, you know, most uh, Christian families, they already have their family trees laid out. They have their photos. Everything is organized and, you know, but it, that isn't the case for indigenous people. So right from the beginning, I believe that, you know, that's, uh, that needs to change. There's, that's a, almost like to me, um, you know, if you're really going to say that you want to help Indigenous people heal, part of healing is understanding who they are and where they came from. So um, I was lucky enough that I was able to finally penetrate my family and find out who I was. And um, I had to talk to a lot of family members, put the pieces together. And I finally did the genealogy and that was very difficult. It took me from about 2009 right up to about 2019. Mm -hmm. So it took almost 10 years. And that is just, you know, that is way too long. Um, yeah, to who has 10 long. years to devote to that, let alone learn your language, learn your culture. That was purposely, like, when, when I talk to people about reconciliation, they have no concept of what reclaiming your identity is. And the fact that we are all supposed to identify as Canadians instead of, you know, you're from the Métis Nation, I'm from the Dene Nation, and the understanding of what that means for Canada, you know, and that's why I say like treaty, then prime minister, and you're, you know, like, come on, let's, let's get this right, folks, and, and people aren't there yet. So, um, oh, you know, I never really finished that thought about the Indigenous Peoples Commission, was that um, it was the only uh, place that was Indigenous specific for policy. And of course, you don't see that in the uh, Conservative Party. And, um, you know, how can we even kind of be serious about uh, Indigenous issues, reconciliation solutions, if we're not putting forward that, just like the Women's Commission exists, because if it didn't, then men would just take all the space, because that's the way the patriarchy was set up. And uh, lastly, we have by uh, the um, youth and the seniors for the same reason because they'd be pushed to the side as well if it wasn't for um, having that space so that's why I naturally came to the um, liberal party because they had the indigenous people's commission and uh, you know and that's why I want to encourage folks to understand the gravity of that because even to today when I seen in the last federal election you know what people were their policies they're not Indigenous specific enough because, you know, they don't have functioning Indigenous Peoples Commissions. And whereas ours has been going since 2006. So, or even before that, I think, um, you know, so we're, we're quite lucky to have that. And that's why I encourage you to be a part of the uh, IPC in any capacity that you feel comfortable doing. Yes, uh, absolutely. So um, I agree with that. Uh, again, um, I, I would love to uh, join the commission uh, 100%. And then just also I wanted to just finish up on my comment uh, of my, my family tree. So anyways, um, I also, when I did go through the family tree, I did find out that um, there was actually a government policy that um, uh, had you know, had a very terrible effect on my family, and that was the Hater Reed Commission. What happened is my family was, um, several family members uh, were in the rebellion of 1885 with Louis Riel, and uh, my grandfather, uh, Francois Desjardins, he uh, was, he was a Métis chief, and he signed Treaty 6, and what happened was, because of his participation in the rebellion, which it's not really a rebellion, I should say it's a resistance. It was a resistance because there was a foreign occupied force on indigenous land. Um, even I have to correct myself sometimes because the, you know, his story um, 
obviously has indoctrinated me deeply <laughs> and I have to undoctrinate myself, but anyways, yeah. So in the resistance of 80, 1885, my family was uh, deemed to be traitors and criminals because we, you know, we wanted to have our own land on our land. I mean, how, how trade, tra you know, treacherous and traitorous is that, right? Uh, anyways, as a result of the, the, Peter Reed Commission. Um, my my gra my great great gra grandpa had his uh, chiefdom disbanded, and he was you know essentially he was broken. His 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 uh, band was broken up all because Métis were you know they they were telling the white ways to the indigenous people. They were telling them <clears throat> you know they were cultural brokers, right? And and of course. Uh, the government at that time didn't like that. They didn't like that somebody could come and tell them, you know, what they were going to do to Indigenous people. And that's what Métis people were there to do is to help them understand. And so they had to, you know, they wanted to, to stop that. They wanted to break up Métis culture and they wanted to break up our close connection to Indigenous people. And uh, they wanted to end that. So that's how they did it. They came up with a policy and... For five generations, my family has felt the effects of that. Uh, whereas, like, if you look at an average farmer who's had five generations of land given to them from the very beginning and, and prosperity and wealth, and and they've passed that forward to their families, so we, we haven't had anything passed forward, We and, and, and it's our, our original land. And that's had a very long effect. So if it took five generations of trauma and damage, um, you know, it, how long do you think it's going to take to heal right it's not going to be instantly it's a long process for healing so <clears throat> so to me uh it's very important that a lot of people who uh want to understand indigenous people and metis people they understand that you know it's it's not going to happen overnight it just mm -hmm. isn't yeah, and actually, so I've had a book club um, since 2016, and we've dealt with uh, the different parts of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and there is a whole book devoted to uh, the Métis and what had happened through Indian residential schools as well. Um, some really great books that we, we did for uh, the uh, Métis Nation for Understanding. Maria Campbell's, obviously, the Half-Breed book is a really important book. Um, so I really encourage folks to read and understand. And I'm sad that all of the work we did prior to the 215 graves being found, for some reason, just so it wasn't resonating until now, the gravity of it. And I, so we've known for, for years that tens of thousands of graves are all across the country that are indigenous, but it, it was really sad, um, tens of thousands of indigenous people telling settlers that, hey, this is a thing, wasn't heard until the graves were found. Now there's a whole conservative movement. Um, and it was an invite-only convention that was here in Calgary. And uh, the Dorshire Review, they try to do everything in their power to try to deny um, those 215 graves proper uh, dignity, um, I guess, dignity in death as well. And it's ironic because everybody who is a denier um, says, well, where are the graves? And I'm like, we literally have a policy, the only municipal policy I know across the country called the White Goose Flying Report, named after Jack White Goose Flying. And they had to relocate his grave so that Ikea and all of the uh, Glenmore businesses could thrive, be, be made and thrive, because that's where an industrial school was. So they had to move his grave to the Queens Park Cemetery, just so that they could develop that area into a business. And I mean, this has been a part of our history forever. But then um, when the TRC came out and the um, Indigenous, uh, they, they call themselves the Calgary Aboriginal Committee, um, they made the White Goose Fine Report to give a municipal lens to the TRC. And I, you know, it, I can't understand um, the denial of our voices. And, th and that's why, of course, we have the podcast is because, you know, um, my, my book club is Indigenous-led. Indigenous Voices Speak First. My podcast is Indigenous. 
and it's not funded by government. So I can, you know, openly say the government, you know, uh, suppressing opinions and ideas and thoughts in, in different um, other ways, but not here because there's no way anybody has fun could fund me actually. And when I tried um, originally starting this podcast, there were no funds for things like this. And I, I don't know if maybe that's changed, but obviously if we've been able to survive this far, I'm going to keep going. But, um, you know, that is the reality. It is 2022. And the amount of racism, like you were saying, it was, um, you know, more subtle hidden racism. I don't know, man, I'm reading the comments of what's happening with this um, tragedy nationally. And it's pretty open. <laughs> you know, those people, those, that's my favorite racism. All of those people. Yeah, what I meant a lot of those people that are posting, though, they're anonymous trolls, right? So the th what I mean is that when I grew up in school, it was more in your face, right? Whereas now it's kind of, you know, they find ingenious ways to hide, especially on social media. Yeah. Um, most people won't post um, racist comments with their, their actual picture and, and name. But, yeah, around the, uh, you know, the James uh, Smith Cree uh, stabbings, I um I had to also <clears throat> just made comments like we should support the GoFundMe um who of course was uh it was there was a hundred thousand dollar fund and all I suggested is that you know a hundred thousand dollars is not enough for ten graves and of course I got uh, a lot of attacks for that um because people because I compared it to um uh, that uh what was the name of the bus accident that happened um, the Humboldt. Yeah, the Humboldt. Uh, so I compared it to that. And I just said, you know, if it was, you know, hum you know, the Humboldt accident had raised um, $24 million. And I just felt that $100,000 is very insignificant to help families, whereas, you know, this is a very, one of the biggest tragedies in Canadian history. Yeah. And I just felt that 100000 wasn't very much. And people were saying that, you know, I was, you know, um, comparing the two tragedies when really I wasn't trying to compare the two tragedies. All I was saying is, can we have the same standard of giving to Indigenous people? Because even when, like you were saying, when Indigenous people want to try to start a business or Indigenous people want to start a podcast, um, you know, or they need some type of funding, it just seems that the system um, out there just... You know, it says one thing, you know, gives us the lip service, but then when it comes time to actually help that Indigenous or Métis person, um, you know, it just seems that the funds are never there. And it's uh, that really has to change because um, if you really want to see how powerful Métis and Indigenous people are, you really need to see... Um, you need to help empower them with, uh, with, with finances. And unfortunately, people... Um, you know, that's, that's how the world works. You need money to make, make things happen. So, you know, if. Well, I talk about we, the barriers, like, first of all, it's a Western imposed economic system. That's first and foremost. There is like imposed barriers through the Indian Act. And, um, you know, you were talking about your family's legacy. I remember the old Beardy uh, Cree nation was also really persecuted for their um, aiding in the Métis rebellion. And, um, you know, the, these are the reparations of living with shame for, as you said, five generations and uh, not being able to uh, move past a lot of the barriers that were policies purposely put in place to keep you and I from succeeding. Um, and I call it ongoing genocide because that's what it is. And, um, you know, we're, we're still not there, where the average Canadian can't see themselves as part of this process, even though, as you said, they've had stolen land, and it's been passed down from generation to generation, and they still don't see themselves. Now, I actually argue they do. They know, and they don't want to admit it, and they would rather be uh, racist towards you and I than to actually deal with their crap, right? Like, so that's how I perceive it, because I've I've gotten past the Canadians are good people and they'll do the right thing. I know it as long as we give them the right solutions because we have given them the solutions. Our people gave them the solutions in 1990, 
uh, six in the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples in 2015, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Now we have the National Inquiry. And from the types of comments that I'm seeing today about this tragedy that we're experiencing, it's very clear they're not interested in the solutions. The solutions are there. If they want to prevent these types of tragedies, implement these solutions. It's really simple to me. Yes, I agree. Um, <clears throat> so, um, you know, I, I'm glad that the federal government decided that they were going to step up and offer some supports, the mental health supports. They were also going to help with uh, bringing family members uh, from outside. You know, that's uh, it's good news. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I just, I, but honestly, back to the, um, to the funding of, you know, small podcasts like yours, or even social media like mine, it's very, very hard um, for, for, we're against the odds. So I congratulate you for even having a podcast and for your, your 30th uh, show. I'm honored to be your guest and uh, Oh no, you're my 30th 30th guest this year. I I have over hundreds of podcasts. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've been downloaded like over tens of thousands of times. That's Okay. Yeah, no. Like I'm not No, your it's 30th, okay. 30th guest this year. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations on your 30th guest this year. Yeah. Um again like uh, I'm not really into the podcast world, but um you know I, I'm glad that uh, you were able to have success and I wish you, you know, more success. So, but uh, I would just say if there's anyone out there listening, you know, um, you know, just consider helping her podcast, um, you know, whether it be sharing it on social media or if um, you could make a donation or if there's any way that you can, um, you know, share it with a family member just uh, help us help help her get her her voice out there because uh, we need more voices like uh, Michelle's out there in the in the community and not only in Canada um, because uh, part of part of healing is uh, people hearing what Métis and Indigenous people have to say right so yeah absolutely and um, I wanted to mention that uh, provincially the UCP government has 113 pathways to justice for the missing and murdered Indigenous women inquiry. And yet I have yet to hear any of the leaders that are running for the UCP talk about that or talk about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, they clearly don't understand treaty if they're talking about the Sovereignty Act, um, even though it's incredibly unconstitutional. And I know you've been talking about that as well. Yeah, one of the one of the reasons why um, I have a lot of family members that are conservative uh, in Alberta, and you know, growing up in Alberta, you're subjugated to conservative narratives, so you tend to shift that way. Um, but one of the reasons I couldn't uh, be a, a conservative uh, was when I realized their their viewpoints on on Métis and Indigenous people, you know, they essentially want us to forget our culture, our history, they want us to forget the fact that, you know, we were the original owners of this land, they want us to just, you know, let, forget it all, pretend it didn't happen, and the problem is, is that we can't, when, when my grandpa uh, signed Treaty 6, um, he signed a treaty that said he was going to share the land, um, he didn't, he didn't sign a treaty saying you own the land. Yes, <laughs> he said, exactly. You will share. And to this day, there's a, there's ceded land and there's unceded land. Now, I would argue a... there's no ceded land. Well, <laughs> there's zero. <laughs> it's all stolen land. We signed yeah, treaties it, it with is, good right, intention, <laughs> but they did not sign them with good intention, and they broke yeah, treaty you're right, you're beforehand right. because the Indian Act was created in 1876. So they had already broken treaty by creating that. And then when they signed treaty in 1877 here in Treaty 7, they had already signed that treaty knowing they had broken it by passing the Indian Act. Yeah, definitely. Like when you when you go to sign an agreement, you definitely don't slaughter 
you know, they're all the food sources, of which is the buffalo, and you don't, you know, starve people out and stick a gun to their head and say, sign a treaty, you're right. Um, I think that uh, most of the Indigenous leaders did it uh, while they were under duress, so I don't think it would honestly hold up in any court if, if ever it came to that. Um, but w- what I just meant was that um, if we were to just, like, to me, I mean, I, I don't want to break up Canada, right? I mean, I I know that there's a lot of people that live here already. And, uh, you know, I, I do realize, though, that it's Indigenous land. So I, for me, I just feel there has to be a balanced approach to that. And um, I think you know, we because... all do, but that's about sharing. And right now there isn't one, right? So Canada yeah. has imposed an economic Western system their laws and have not worked with us at creating a framework that's mutually beneficial. A lot of the crown land, especially you up there in uh, Métis Cree land, like why is it crown land? (laughs) That's stupid. That should be Creek and Métis controlled land, right? So so there is a way better way for us to work together. And I'm not suggesting we break up Canada. I'm suggesting that Canada, uh, one, have reparations, but two, um, understand like and the average Canadian does not recognize treaty. The average Canadian doesn't understand their role in treaty. And that is the foundation of everything. So until we start getting where there's an understanding of balance, <laughs> of, of equal voice, equal revenue sharing, that's when we're, we're getting closer to treaty. Yeah, you're right. Um, absolutely. I think people don't know that it's our land. Um, they don't understand what the treaty was uh, that that our our ancestors signed, and they don't understand that uh, to be equal partners, um, it doesn't involve us, you know, being without you know land and without stability and mental health and and structure and you know education, which is what we need. We need a level playing field, and we've never had that level playing field. And uh, Métis and Indigenous people are just as hard working as anyone else. We uh, we just didn't have the the opportunities. Um, we didn't have the credit system. Uh, we didn't have the structure, in, uh, you know, because the structure was broken up um, of our families. So the thing is, is that we didn't have some of those things in place, and so now we're just rising out of the ashes, picking picking up the pieces and putting ourselves back together and the thing is is that we do need land back um part of the 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 equation of of balance is giving a lot of land back and um that's what we need uh to heal uh we need we need uh this like uh if you were to look at uh you know the the amount of homeless people in Alberta right now, the majority of those are indigenous people. And you got to ask yourself this, why, why are indigenous people homeless on their own land? Right. Why are they being evicted by people on their own land? Um, That's pretty disturbing. If you ask me that, you know, there's Métis indigenous people living in tents and they don't have access to, you know, home and there's waiting lists. And, you know, um, I'm glad that the federal government is trying to get the houses built for, you know, they're announcing deals to build houses, but we need, we need a hundred thousand houses built. You know, that's what I mean about reparation. I mean, ultimately they purposely, so one of the words that you keep talking about the family structure falling apart, like literally the policies are still in place to rip our families apart, which is part of the problem, right? Like until these policies stop, (laughs) which we're not even close to addressing, um, which by the way, you may not know this, but the Indigenous Peoples Commission, we have some, um, like we're going through policies right now. So soon there'll be um, more, I think they're going to stay internal for a little longer. And then soon they'll be public for us to kind of dissect a bit more together. But I can't really discuss them now until they're more public because it's like still internal. Anyway, um, you know, like the justice system needs reform. 
it needed reform years ago. We still didn't have access to lawyers um, until the 90s. You know, like it, it's, and even today, like I would argue, and I'm sure you and I could uh, both agree that the way Kenny has um, dismantled the, um, the legal system here in Alberta that we're at a point where legal aid is not even a thing anymore, that our, our legal aid is on, on um, and I would argue it wasn't enough prior to Kenny, right? So so like we're, we are still completely at a disadvantage. It's ongoing genocide. These are ongoing policies that are meant to hurt and eliminate us. So until these barriers are stopped, we can't even talk about, you know, finding our family. <laughs> we can't even talk about that because we're not there yet. Yeah, systemic racism um, does exist. It's, it exists in all the laws. The all, all the laws are based, yes. you know, in systemic uh, racism. And it's very hard when you're Indigenous or Métis in Alberta to get any type of justice because who has access to, to lawyers and funding? There is no funding. So... I mean, if if politicians um, really want to see how much systemic racism really exists, what they need to do is they need to they need to almost provide, you know, proper legal funding to Indigenous people so that we can actually fight for ourselves. Because unfortunately, um, we don't have law degrees and um, we don't have you know money from from you know family members passing that down um we don't have wealth so the thing is is that we can't defend ourselves so we're we're always going to be in a position of vulnerability because we can't even protect our own interests and that's one of the things that people don't understand whereas um when you look at the landowners that have been here for five generations who have passed down the wealth from family member to family member and now you know if they if they have any injustice they they have uh, a lawyer that they could take some money give it to him and he'll defend their interests whereas we don't have that ability so that's one thing that really if if you're really going to fight against systemic racism and injustice um indigenous and metis people need access to lawyers and we just don't have that well, and kind of back to your point about the affordable housing, we have um, systemic underfunding. So, you know, if if any municipality or school board was given uh, systemic underfunding and, you know, they get at least a two-year projection, we don't get that. You know, the, this is the systemic racism that has caused the housing crisis as well and a lack of health care. Like, w- there's no investment into any aspect of our lives so we get it at the educational health justice and um, infrastructure like it, it's it's all across the board so you know and, and I would say that obviously you know education and health are intrinsic, intrinsically linked with uh, child apprehension as well and when you have imposed poverty as well right so it, it's uh, the system is designed for us to fail and until we address the systemic racism we, it, we cannot thrive so um, not that we shouldn't be continuing to try. Um, I know my auntie, she is a lawyer and she has spent her entire life working for our people. Uh, she worked out at the Enoch Cree Nation and uh, Moscowchese, Hobima, <clears throat> when it was called Hobima. And, um, you know, she's done, done um, Indian residential school claims, uh, helped with uh, real estate, all sorts of things for Indigenous people. And, and quite frankly, I never got access to any of that because uh, by then we had fallen out of terms because she had tried really hard when I was a teen to help my mom with a relationship. And I was a stupid teen that was living in systemic racism and sexism. And there hasn't been that bridge building between us for us to really you know, create um, conversations after. So, and she's understandably retired and <laughs> trying to just enjoy her life. So I want her to anyway. Um, so anything else that you want to include, maybe some contact information, which uh, social medias do you like to um, do there, Yaro, so that people can get a hold of you? Well, um, what I did was I, I kind of simplified it. So 
if you go onto any of my social medias, it's just at Yarrow, J-A-R-O, Giesbrecht, G-I-E-S-B-R-E-C-H-T. I also um, put a link. Uh, it's called Linktree. And if you click the link tree on any of my social medias, it'll take you to any of my social medias that I have. Um, so you could uh, like, follow, subscribe, retweet, share, um, or even donate. I have a PayPal link on the top of my link tree. Um, so pretty much any, any way, uh, if you connect and you're liberal, you're progressive, um, gay, lesbian, LGBT, you plus, I don't know, I keep forgetting, they keep changing all that. Um, whatever walk of life, Indigenous, Métis, doesn't matter, as long as uh, you're progressive and you're liberal, you know, and you want to connect, please, please do. Yeah, and vice versa. Um, Yaro, if you ever want uh, to talk about Two-Spirit, if you ever want to talk about the land, I, I I never charge my own people for that. I only charge uh, non-Indigenous. Um, so we can connect there. So thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome back anytime, especially if you have something um, that you're you know, working on that you want to promote, please don't hesitate. Uh, for folks who are my regular listeners, we have our book club coming September 12th. So we're going to be doing the National Inquiry chapters five and six of volume 1A. Uh, October 10th is Res Rules by Clarence Louie. He said he was coming. I can't promise a safe space for this one, folks, but I think so. <laughs> November 14th, National Inquiry, Chapter 7 and 8. And then December 12th, we have Standoff by Bruce McIver, who said he was coming. And I encourage anyone who's a settler across this country, half of my listeners are in Ontario, the other half in, are in Alberta, with a few in between. I encourage you to join a reconciliation group. If you're in Calgary, we have the Reconciliation Action Group. And I encourage you to start networking between these reconciliation groups because quite frankly, the fact that the Pope came here and all the churches didn't understand why and uh, weren't working and educating their congregations on why the Pope was coming and being able to name the TRCs like that shows me you don't understand reconciliation. So you know, if you are setting up your September schedules, make time to learn about Indigenous issues. See your role as a treaty partner, as a, a, a citizen on reconciliation. If you're in Alberta and you're, you consider yourself a conservative, you better be pushing that UCP on uh, the 113 pathways to justice. Because uh, if you're not, then that shows me you're no ally to us whatsoever. And you're, you're perfectly okay with the ongoing genocide of gendered violence. I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety training and cultural first aid in all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities and LGBTQ2 plus to speak. Thank you, Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin of heretohelp.bc.ca and giving that what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it link their work and those cultural action tools I've said over a hundred times in my podcast. So please support Indigenous work like that as part of your reconciliation work and settler understandings. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat them here. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized people experience by the structure of racism. It's a lot easier for us to fight each other than it is for us to be fighting structural racism. So that's why you end up seeing that a lot. Uh, do's and don'ts. Oh, you can go to racial tool, uh, racialequitytools.org. Uh, Donna Bevins has a piece about what is internalized racism. So if you identify as a marginalized group, I highly recommend doing this work so that you don't perpetuate um, any, any violence against our own people or lateral violence. Do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee. So this is what you do if you see a Muslim woman on the sea train being accosted. But yet I've seen a, a lot of Calgarians still don't know how to do that. Um, if you see or experience racism, you can report it at acttoendracism.ca or text at 587-507-3838 if you're in Alberta. Indigenous have been talking about this issue, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it'll be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, 
lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. The recommendation to the Royal Commission of the Aboriginal, uh, uh, the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, the yearly multiple reports, and violence prevention, 231 calls to justice, and now provincially, the Kenny government created 113 pathways to justice. So all of you uh, blue voting bootlickers should be holding your blue MLAs to account on this. Uh, municipally, we have the White Goose Flying Report. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the media, education, and justice institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, etc. A really great article that is out there is how non-Indigenous Canadians become allies, and actually there are multiple ones out there now. If you're extreming, or experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today or because of what's happening right now, there's a First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. They also have a website at hopeforwellness.ca with a little text option. If it's more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit, you can call 844-413-6649. It is a national toll-free crisis line for anybody about that. If you're a non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area and usually a functioning 211. But you can also call 833-456-4566. And if you're a scooped kid, you can go to ssisa.ca where they have um, a whole society for Indigenous people. If you see or experience racism, again, act to endracism.ca. Uh, the following are uh, 2S LGBTQ plus crisis supports available in most areas across Canada. Um, Lifevoice.ca is the one who hosts that. If you want to go there, there's the Trans Lifeline at 877-330-6366. Uh, the Trevor Project is the uh, one that kind of does the umbrella. And for youth, 1-866-844-7386. Uh, so we have a crisis with uh, drug overdose right now, and that is the government's failure to properly address this. Um, if you know somebody or using a substance, please don't use alone. If you're using alone, there are two apps that you can use. You can download Brave or DORS, and there's also a national overdose response service at 888-688-NORS. Uh, for support. If you are a First Nation in Alberta, you have access to a Narcan a day. Talk to your pharmacist about it. Every single Albertan has access to naloxone at any drugstore. Please have one on you at all times. Have one in your house and be able to learn how to administer them. They're super easy. So I really encourage that. Violence is my everyday reality. Every indige Indigenous generation has faced it. This is self-care and how I take my power back. This is why I started the podcast, to speak freely, without interruption, without tone police, leadership shaming, gaslighting questions. Many people don't want to hear an Indigenous woman's opinion, but sure want to tell their ignorant one. They know nothing about Indigenous colonialism, sexism, the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, our rights. By the way, Friday, um, we have a, I'll have a sacred fire in my backyard, but um, in Calgary, there's going to be a vigil for, for this tragedy that is happening. And likely it'll be completely over-policed like all of our vigils. And if this is news to you, you ain't listening. Um, I and many others share info on microaggressions daily. So it's unacceptable to say them anymore. Learn about being trauma-informed. People like me are dealing with internalized racism and gatekeeping that survive off the status quo Internal and, re and external racism is an everyday reality for me, Indigenous peoples, folks with disabilities, QT, BIPOC, and others. Masi Cho to my ancestors. To my granny, to my mom, of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me a proud culture for her Austrian family and, and roots. And stepping up to, be, to teach me how to be a proud Calgarian. 
It is through her I'm a second generation. Thank you to my husband, Big Buffalo Rockman, um, for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my journey of the red road, he has witnessed decades of sexism and racism. And to our child, Thunderpipe Necklace Woman, we are blessed to learn from you daily, and you are on. We are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. And I hope that my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present day issues. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments, questions, or e-transfers. I also have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe and go to nativecalgary.com for anything else, especially if you want to book me. And I want to end by giving side-eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not your dish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you so much for listening, folks.